Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast designed for small business owners, the backbone of the American economy. Join us as our hosts, Austin and Landon, share insights and experiences as small business owners, active investors and operators who have started, bought, sold, and grown several successful businesses. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners, a business consulting and wealth management firm built specifically to serve small and medium-sized businesses. Okay, welcome in Tycoons. You're here with Austin Peterson, Landon Mance, the host of Tycoons of Small Biz. We've been put, we've been doing this podcast a little over three years. You'd think we figured it out by now, but you may you may learn soon that we actually haven't figured it out, but uh, we'll let you guys be the judge of that. So, Landon, welcome in, buddy. How are you? Yeah. Good morning. I'm I'm happy to be here for the moment. Uh, my internet seems to be going in and out, so. I hope that I uh, I can spend some some quality time with you the next twenty to thirty minutes without dropping off regularly. So to be determined. Yeah. Well, your your internet seems to be you know like your wife tells me your mood is unstable. <laughs> fair. Fair. <laughs> Depends on the day, especially. So what our listeners don't know is that you and I started, we, we were participating in a weight loss challenge together. And so, you know, that calorie deficit may be adding to the instability of, of your mood these days, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but the good news for you is here we are week five of eight. And for the first time in the, in the challenge, you are ahead of me in in terms of percentage of weight loss. So congratulations. Thank you, sir. Thank you for, for acknowledging that. I, I happened to notice that too on Monday when the results came out. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just means that you indulged a little bit less during the Super Bowl than I did, I guess. So <clears throat> Landon today, why don't, why don't you introduce the topic? You know, for our listeners, most of them know that, that what we do in our day job is, is run a wealth management firm. We're a little different than most financial advisors out there. We work exclusively with small business owners. And so we do a lot more in, inside of their businesses. But, you know, we, we also tend to do uh, a fair amount of investing outside of the traditional public markets, right? Like everybody's familiar with the stock market, the S&P 500, NASDAQ, Dow Jones, you know, all those, all those types of investments. But today we're going to talk a little bit about investing in the in the private markets. So Landon, why don't you kind of just introduce that topic and, and tell us a little bit about or explain that further for the for our listeners who may not be familiar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe a, a little background, very quick as to why why this is something that we're talking about today, not just with our clients, but just generally with, you know, with, with everyone that's tuning in to listen today. And, you know, it's, it started a couple years ago when we started to get much more active investing in the private marketplace and ultimately <clears throat> led to us leaving the independent broker dealer world back in July and starting our own independent registered investment advisory, which just means that 
we no longer have, you know, a, a, a big brother kind of looking over our, our shoulder, telling us what products and services we can and cannot offer, what technology we can and cannot offer and what investments we can and cannot offer. And so a big part of this decision that we made to start our own firm was around the investing piece because we, we work with a lot of successful entrepreneurs who are regular investments in the investors in the private market. Uh, now they may not own any investments in the private market, but they are big investors. And what I mean by that is they are reinvesting a lot of capital into their own businesses, right? That are privately held. So today is about kind of expanding that opportunity, expanding that thought process of moving away from just investing in your own business to investing in similar opportunities in other people's businesses. And there's a lot of different ways to kind of go about doing that. Now, we're not just going to talk about investing in other businesses. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about real estate, credit, you know, um, alts, AKA alternative investments, which can be, you know, a, a slew of different things. So that's kind of the basis of what we're going to be talking about today. So I know this is kind of like an intro, you know, like a place to actually start. So I'll turn it back to you for a second. And for people that are looking to get into this world of private investing, right? Investing in businesses, investing in real estate, investing in different, you know, alternative investments, all kind of in the private marketplace. Like, first of all, like why Austin, why, why would entrepreneurs and, and folks want to even start doing this? Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of different reasons depending on, on the person, right? I mean, we've got clients that are just not super interested in investing in the public markets and, and some of the feedback that I, that I hear from them is, you know, it, it's just, it, it's just this weird thing out there that I don't fully understand. And, you know, the market's dictating the share price and, you know, I, I mean, maybe they do well one quarter, they don't do well the next quarter. I, I just don't fully understand it. It's, it's just out there. I mean, I, I get that Tesla's a strong company, but why is Tesla worth so much when they don't sell that many cars? And, you know, they, they just don't fully understand it. But when they're running their own businesses, they understand how small, you know, Main Street type businesses work. And, and it makes more sense to them to have an opportunity to invest in those types of businesses or real estate that they can, they can touch, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe their business owns real estate that they use to operate out of, or, you know, they've, they've got this equipment or they, you know, it's just, it's, it's more tangible to them. They feel like they understand it better. And then the other part of it, which is, you know, very near and dear to our hearts is, is the fact that you know, you're investing in people that are your neighbors. You're investing in people who live around you, people who are really driving the economy in our country, because these, you know, these large businesses are the ones that are covered on the news and everybody's kind of heard of them. 
But the reality is the big driver in our economy is those main street businesses, those small and medium sized businesses that are operated right here in our communities by our neighbors. You know, the innovation comes from the smaller companies, typically not from the larger companies. The larger companies get the news stories about them, but a lot of times it's it's the small company who maybe invents something and they grow to a certain point and then they're acquired by a large company and then that large company gets the news clip about what was generated inside of their in their company and so it's just it's a combination of all of those types of things that that kind of generates the interest in my mind yeah yeah definitely you know when i when i think about starting out you know for somebody that is just kind of getting into this into this world per se, maybe they're thinking about making their first investment into a real estate deal or a friend of theirs, you know, businesses or, you know, something like that. You know, I start to think about it through that, that lens of like the risk, risk reward, right? So at, at the bottom, bottom, bottom of the spectrum, like the most conservative would be like, you know, a checking or savings account or like a CD, right? It's zero risk and minimal, minimal reward, but, but it's essentially guaranteed, right? By the financial and financial institution that, that it's, it's offering the product, whether it's, you know, whether it's a bank CD or, a uh, or it's a savings account or a money market account, you know, those funds are typically going to be going to be guaranteed by the institution and then also backed by the federal government. To some to some extent and then so it's it's safe it's essentially guaranteed and it's liquid right and then you go to the opposite side the complete opposite side of the spectrum and that's going to be a lot of this private investing stuff right because it's illiquid meaning that you cannot get to your money typically until some transaction or some event takes place that's generally completely out of your control. It's much higher risk, right? And again, that liquidity factor makes it much higher risk. But on the flip side of that is when you are seeking a much higher or you're taking on much higher risk, the objective is that you're going to get compensated much greater for that risk that you're taking. So the allure of investing in the private marketplace for a lot of people is around that risk opportunity, right? That return opportunity, I should say. And, you know, a lot of it does boil down to that. Yes, it's, you know, people want to invest in other entrepreneurs because that's what we're comfortable with. And But a big part of it, in my opinion, is that return profile. Because in the private marketplace, when you are investing in a realist, a private real estate deal or an alternative strategy or a small business, a small or medium sized business, whether it's directly or, th- or indirectly through a, a fund or an SPV or some collection of monies, the return profile is, you know, much larger, the opportunity for return. So... I don't know, maybe we can maybe we can talk to that just for a second so that people get an understanding of what kind of return profiles they should be looking for when they're investing in private market deals. And maybe we'll just talk about, 
you know, let's just, let's use like two or three examples. So we'll talk about real estate. We'll talk about, you know, angel and VC investing, and then we'll talk about private equity. How about that? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kick it off with, with real estate. And, and first of all, it's important to understand that there are a lot of different versions of investing in real estate, right? I mean, as an individual investor, you can certainly, if you have the capital and, and the, you know, call it maybe the credit worthiness to be able to go and invest in real estate on your own directly, you can certainly do that. And honestly, if, if you do that, your, your return would likely be higher because you're taking on all of the risk yourself. And then you're also using leverage by financing the deal. Right. And so it depends on the real estate investor that you talk to or, you know, what you look at online, but you should be looking at north of 10%, you know, rate of return on an annual annualized basis. If you're going to get involved in that, whether it's just buying, you know, a single family residence or you're buying a multifamily residence, right? Maybe it's a, a duplex or it's a fourplex or, you know, an apartment building, whatever the case is, you're, you're looking at that and you're looking at, you know, a rate of return that's higher, but you've got to understand one, you've taken on additional risk by using leverage mm -hmm. Two, you've got additional risk by having renters, whether they're short-term or long-term in there that are potentially going to do damage to that property. And you're going to be responsible for all of the maintenance and upkeep of those properties. And so, you know, it's not just about the monetary risk. There are a lot of other risks that you have to look at, understand, and be prepared for as you invest in these types of investments. That's why the reward is higher is the risk is higher. And it's not, again, just not on the monetary side, but there are other aspects of risk. And then obviously you can invest with a pool of people, right? There, there are a lot of private real estate funds out there that you can choose to invest in. The, the thing that you got to be aware of when, when you're investing in those is who's running this, who, who's making the decision, who else is capitals involved. If the person's running their own real estate fund, you know, a very good question to ask as an investor is how much of your own money is invested in this fund? What do you, you know, what, what are you looking at losing if you make a wrong decision? You, you want to be sure that that person has a vested interest in that fund as well. You know, I, I have a friend actually who runs his own private real estate fund and they they do a lot of different things inside of that real estate fund, whether it's financing properties for flips or, you know, just doing like a hard money type of a, of a loan inside of that fund. But but that individual is the largest investor in the fund. He has more of his own money in that fund than the compilation of everybody else in that fund. Well, that as an investor would make me feel more comfortable because if he makes a wrong decision, he stands to lose a, a significant amount as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I think that is critical when you're investing in some kind of an off market, private market, alternative investment type of deal is that they have true skin in the game. And the example that you just used, I, I think that is you know, that's not, that's not typical, right? But I think that is a great way to gain confidence as a newer investor into the private market space to know that the principles, the decision makers of that investment 
deal structure opportunity, whatever you want to call it, that they've got real meaningful skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. For them to be the majority investor is, is rare. Right. And, and I'm not stating that that's the way that it needs to be, but like you said, they, they've got to have a meaningful investment in the fund. They've, they've got to be putting their own money at risk. If, if, if an investor should be expected to put their money in as well. Yeah, for sure. So another way to invest in, in real estate for so Austin kind of use the example of the direct investment, but I think you also alluded to, you know, you can invest through a fund, you can invest through some kind of like a syndication deal. You can now invest through crowdfunding where before you might've had, you might've had to have a hundred or, or 500,000 or a couple million dollars to invest in these deals. Now with crowdfunding opportunities, you know, I think you can get in for, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars a person, which is, which is interesting. I think it's, it's good, but it, yeah, it's just a different, different landscape. Crowdfunding is still relatively new. So I think they're still figuring a lot of things out, but at the end of the day, now you can invest in some of these deals through crowdfunding opportunities at incredibly low price points. Whereas just three, five, you know, 10 years ago, you know, those, those opportunities didn't exist. Okay. All right. So we talked about real estate. All right. Let's, let's quickly talk about investing in businesses. We're, I think we, we identified two different routes. So VC and angel investing, and then we'll talk about kind of like, you know, more private equity stuff. So I'll just touch on the VC angel investing real quick, just to, you know, just to expose people to basically understand like what it is at its core. So VC and angel investing, venture capital VC and angel investing are investing in early stage companies. Uh, sometimes it's not even a company. It's just, it's an idea, right? Cause they have no customers, you know, they have no team, they have no, you know, no official product. And that's like early, early stage, like angel investing. You know, I've done a few of those. I've done a few of those investments the last couple of years and mostly just investing because I really like the founder and, and can tell how committed they are to what they are trying to do. And those check sizes are usually going to be relatively small. Those are usually 10 to $50,000 check sizes at those early, early, early stages. And then you start to move up the spectrum and still kind of in the angel investing realm, then you can look at doing like seed investments and seed investments generally the, the company has some kind of traction at this point, they might have some customers, they've got a more established, but maybe not fully established product. They've got a small team built up generally. So it's more of a concept and an idea. It feels a little bit more like, like a business. And this is when venture capitalists tend to get involved right around this stage, that seed stage, generally speaking. Kind of the final stage of this is more growth capital and growth capital is still for newer companies 
they've generally only been around for maybe three, five, seven years. And they have uh, raised funding rounds generally. And they've got, you know, they've got generally a robust management team. They've got revenue, usually millions of dollars of revenue, sometimes mostly recurring revenue. They've got uh, a solid product and they've got a good game plan to really ramp things up and, and grow the business. And that's like late stage growth kind of venture capital investing. So that kind of covers that world. And then, all right, so let's talk about, let's talk about private equity real quick. Well, actually, before you go to private equity, so just to kind of reiterate with, you know, angel versus VC. So angel is the earliest, which then means the risk is higher and the reward is higher. Right. And so, again, you're putting smaller amounts. And if it goes, you may, you know, you may get 10x your return. You may get even 100x. Right. I mean, you, you just never know. And like you said, you're, you're basing it on either the product, the idea, or the founder, the founder typically being the most important in, in my in my estimation. But the big risk is that it could easily go to zero. And quite often with angel investing, it does go to zero. So it's, you know, when you do angel investments, you got to go in with your eyes wide open and understand that if you make 10 investments, you may get nothing back on eight of them or seven of them. Right. And then the other two or three are going to give you a, a decent rate of return that, that still makes it worthwhile. But that's the type of risk you're talking about on the angel side. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Angel investing. You should go into the investment essentially after you write that check, essentially washing your hands of that of that money, because statistically speaking, th there's a high probability that 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 you are going to lose that investment, like every penny of it. That's why like a good rule of thumb, and, and we are not, we are not expert angel investors by, by any stretch. You know, we, we've done plenty of it, but we are not experts, not even close. But a, a good rule of thumb I hear a lot in the angel investing world is, is to have a successful portfolio of angel investments, you need at least 10. And you basically nailed it seven, eight, or nine of those are probably going to go down to zero. And then one or two or three of them are going to generate all of the returns inside of your portfolio of angel investments, generally speaking. So yeah, great point. Great point. Yeah. All right. Yeah. If you want to cover private equity, go ahead. Just kind of give us the quick rundown on private equity and how it works and why somebody should be potentially interested. Yeah. So I, I think the definition of private equity is changing. I mean, as, as we speak five, seven years ago, the definition of private equity was relatively straightforward. And that was private equity was a group of individuals, generally, you know, very, book smart, financially savvy individuals that go out and buy companies and generally sprinkle a whole bunch of debt onto these companies 
and grow them significantly over a relatively short period of time, three, five, or seven years. And then they flip that business to the next buyer. And generally that's going to be another larger private equity shop. So that's kind of the old, you know, the old kind of definition of private equity. Now it is changing a lot because there's just been a lot of changes and developments, this whole movement of people going out and buying small businesses as opposed to starting them, as opposed to continuing to move up the ranks in their corporate careers has become much more of a thing, much more popular. I mean, really just the last, what, three to five years? Yeah. And so now private equity, you know, is not just what I originally described. Now it is, it is people going out and buying, you know, small individual businesses, you know, with less than a million dollars of profit that might be doing a couple million dollars a year in sales. And they're buying these businesses through self-funded searches, through traditional search funds. And there some have investors, you know, some, some don't, some are just using their own capital and then the bank's capital to acquire these businesses. Now uh, you see these holding company models where people start a holding company and then they go out and acquire a whole bunch of different companies under this one holding company. Sometimes they're in the same industry or similar ones. Sometimes they're, they're, they're all across the board. You know, you look at, you know, Brent B shore and the gang over at permanent equity, they own a, I think they own a, you know, a pool construction company. They just bought a roller coaster pieces, manufacturing company. You know, they own a bunch of random businesses under one kind of umbrella. I don't know if they're a holding company structure. I think they're actually a fund, I, I believe. But, you know, there's just a lot of flavors now to private equity. So it's really evolved and changed a lot the last, just the last five years, which I think is really, really cool because it gives a lot of us, you know, people that don't have three or five or $10 million to invest these opportunities to make similar investments into private equity, seeking similar returns that private equity generates, but we can do it at much lower dollar amounts, which opens up this world to a lot more people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting area. Like you said, it has, it has evolved just to be clear, the old traditional version of private equity does still exist, right? I mean, we, we have clients who are private equity backed and, and, you know, have, have gone through this kind of roll up of a specific industry, meaning that they buy a bunch of different companies, smaller companies in the same industry, they roll them all together and then sell to a larger private equity and then a larger private equity and then a larger private equity. And then maybe it ends up going public at some point. Right. So that does still exist for sure. Um, but you're right. You're, you we're seeing this, this change and, and usually it comes about from an economic event, right. Or an economic event coupled with 
a worldwide health event, which we all just kind of went through, right? So the pandemic came around and people started looking and saying, do I want to continue to do this, you know, work for somebody else thing or should I start my own business, right? So 2008, we have this economic crisis. 2020, we have the pandemic, both of them, you know, kind of similar, obviously, outside of the, the health issues, but you see this economic uncertainty and coming out of both of those, you have a lot of new companies starting because people start to reflect, think, do I really want to do this for somebody else or do I want to do it for myself? Right. And so, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic. It, it's fun to see for us, you know, who believe in, in small business and, and getting everything kind of up and going. There's a lot of different ways to get involved. And, and like you said, you don't have to have your own capital. Maybe you're just a really, really good operator, you know, meaning that you you ran a division for a, for a larger organization and you decide that you want to just run a whole organization. Well, there are plenty of investors out there who would actually fund you going out to find a company that you would then run, right? And you mentioned the search fund. That's what that is. That's a, that's a group of investors saying, we will fund an acquisition on your behalf. You'll run it. You'll get some upside in this. You'll get some exposure to running your own company. And, and a lot of people who start out that way end up then doing it themselves later on because they then have the finances to do it on their own. So then they'll go out and make their own acquisitions. So it's a really cool transition and, and way of doing things going forward, which I think can, can have a great effect on, on the economy and the small business world overall. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I get quite a few people that, that reach out to me about buying a business. You know, if anyone listening doesn't know, I, I bought a, tree trimming and removal business back in June of 2023. And then I got interviewed on a podcast called Acquiring Minds, which my, my buddy, Will Smith is the host, does an unbelievable job of interviewing people that have bought businesses in the last, call it, you know, three to four years. And since that happened, I've had a lot of people reach out and they, you know, they want to just, you know, get some advice pick your brain, run this by you, run, run that by you. And a lot of people love are, are love this, the concept of going out and buying versus starting a small business, but they just, you know, they don't really know where to start and maybe they don't have any experience in the small business world. And for those people, a traditional search fund could be a great route right? Because a traditional shirts fund, you are going to get paid, you know, generally it's about a hundred grand a year, give or take about a hundred grand a year to go out and to search for, and hopefully acquire a business. You'll have some upside in that business, but your investors, you know, will have the majority ownership inside that business. But if you pick good investors, you align yourself with good investors, you are going to have some incredible people that are backing you that probably have really, really phenomenal experience and expertise in, in finding, acquiring and successfully operating and probably selling as well a, a small business. So you've got this this group of people behind you that are supporting you 
in your in your journey. So that can be a great route for for people to consider who maybe don't have experience as a small business operator. Yeah. 100%. I think it's a great way to kind of dip your toe into into the water. And if you know, if you're thinking that you want to start a business or run a business or own a business or whatever, and you're just not quite sure, you know, how to get started, or you don't want to take the, you know, the dive into the or the plunge into the deep end, you know, right out of the gates, it's 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 not a bad way to go. Because like you said, that support structure is important. Now, if you decide to go all in and just either start or buy your business on your own, I would recommend being part of different peer groups, whether they're online or in person mm -hmm. to get feedback from other people who are going through the same types of things that you're going through as a business owner. The, the reality is unless you have a spouse or a life partner who, who also owns their own business and is going through some of this, you, you typically don't have somebody in your life that can give you an unbiased opinion or feedback on the things that that you're going through and, and a peer group gives you that opportunity yeah 100 percent. and a couple of peer groups to consider would be vistage eo which is entrepreneurs organization what's another one ypo ypo yeah and then there's some other ones that have been popping up the last just the last like couple of years so yeah do a google search of you know business owner peer groups and you'll you'll get a slew of of them come up and you can, you know, check them out, find one that might, might, be, might be right for you. Yep. All right. So we are coming up on time. You know, we try to keep these close to about 30 minutes. It looks like we're at approximately 35. So I would say, let's try to wrap this up in the next, you know, one to three minutes. So I'll, I'll give some clothing, clothing, closing thoughts, and then I'll, I'll kick it back to you. So a lot of different ways to invest in the private markets. You know, it can be directly, it can be through a group, it can be through a fund, it can be through some kind of like a syndication, it can be through crowdfunding, right? There, there's a lot of different ways to invest in the private marketplace. And then there's also just a ton of different investments in the private marketplace. So. I think the a big mistake that I see a lot of people make is that they make investments into the private marketplace with really no experience, very little knowledge, and just not the right skill sets to do so, right? Just because you own a successful business or just because you have a background in finance or you know whatever the case may be, does not translate to having the experience and the knowledge to go out and start investing in the private marketplace. So people, I see a lot of people making investments into this or that because they heard about it from a friend or their second cousin's fourth uncle removed, you know, is starting this business and they, you know, they, they talk about what a great opportunity it's going to be and they don't consult with people that really know what they're talking about. I mean, we've even had our own clients do that where they've gone out and made an investment into something without consulting with us first. And we're like, why would you, why would you do that and not come and talk to us first? So at least we can help you kind of better understand what you're getting yourself into. So we're not saying come talk to us necessarily, but 
before you make an investment into the private marketplace, sit down with somebody that knows this landscape well, that you trust. You might have to pay them for their time and that's okay. And get some advice around something that, you know, especially if you're looking at something specifically, get a second and potentially a third set of eyes on it so that you can better understand the risks involved in doing so before you actually go and do so. So I will close with that. Yeah, I, I think important, you know, information. I, I think the the reality is, Landon, you know, I, I would say a couple of things. Uh, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If you don't have the ability to do due diligence or you don't know how to do proper due diligence, then make sure that you're getting that due diligence from somewhere, right? If you're working with a financial advisor who is not exposing you to any sort of private markets, then I would suggest that you might want to look around and see if there's an opportunity to work with somebody who, who does, because it should be a part of most people's portfolios. Now, if you've got a really smart, small portfolio and you're just getting started, you know, let's start with the traditional stuff and kind of work your way up to, mm -hmm. to working with other stuff. On the flip side, if you've got an advisor who's exposing you to 100% or a very large percentage of your portfolio in private markets, then that's probably also the wrong advisor, right? The reality is most investors shouldn't have more than, say, 25% in alternative investments or private market investments. Now, some can easily go up to 40 or 50, but it all depends on their own risk profile and their own you know, understanding of of risk, but then also the makeup of the rest of their portfolio, where their wealth comes from, where their income comes from. There are so many different things to, to explore, but mm -hmm. there, there's just, there's a lot more ways to invest that most people aren't even aware of. And, and people should be making sure that they're doing their research or working with an advisor that, that knows enough about everything that's out there that can help them and advise them on, on the things that are out there. So, you know, I think it's just understanding what what's available, understanding what the risks are, wading into it smartly and making sure that you're doing so with the right partners, because there are plenty of ways out there to just lose a lot of money unnecessarily because you're working with the wrong partners, not necessarily investing in the wrong things. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, I, I couldn't have said, any, said it any better myself, you know, so, so eloquent and beautiful, my friend. So with that, yeah, hope this was valuable to everybody who, who listened in. Not sure we had anybody that joined live or not. I guess we'll, we'll see the statistics afterwards, but nonetheless, we appreciate you being here and hit us up if you want to have a conversation. All right. Always a pleasure, man. Have a great day. Likewise, brother. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all our episodes and great content around growing, investing in, buying and selling small businesses. This podcast is distributed for informational purposes only. Statements made in the podcast are not to be construed as personalized investment or financial planning advice, may not be suitable for everyone, and should not be considered as solicitation to engage in any particular investing or planning strategy. Listeners should conduct their own review and exercise judgment or consult with their professional financial advisor to see how the information contained in this podcast may apply to their own individual circumstances. All investing involves risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal. 
Past performance does not guarantee future results, and nothing in this podcast should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. All market indices discussed are unmanaged, do not incur management fees, costs and expenses, and cannot be invested into directly. Investment advisory services offered by Backbone Planning Partners, LLC. Neither Backbone Planning Partners, LLC, nor its representatives provide legal or accounting advice. The content of this podcast represents the views and opinions of Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, and or the podcast guest, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Backbone Planning Partners, LLC. Statements made in this podcast are subject to change without notice. Neither Backbone Planning Partners, LLC, nor its representatives, the podcast host, or its guests have an obligation to provide revised statements in the event of changed circumstances.